Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the TSG Podcast. Just a huge disclaimer before we begin that all content produced on this channel is for education and entertainment purposes only. Enjoy the episode. All right. Hey there, everyone. So, Sean, (laughs) we are in person. Yes, we are. For the first time recording this podcast and this is this is exciting this is uh this is gonna be a new experience where you're usually doing it through online means uh through zoom and whatnot and so mm-hmm. uh, i think we're gonna have a much more comfortable stable i want to say just conversation mm-hmm. no delay and all that so what's new with you um what is new with me well i've been reading some interesting things about uh the economy about okay about uh, what's been going on in China. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm listening to a podcast about Xi Jinping. Actually, I haven't gotten through it, but it's still in the early years. Okay. Um, Wait. So is this his like biography or something? Kind of. It okay. was the Economist podcast. Mm. They were just talking about Xi, and so they went through sort of his youth, mm-hmm. and I guess you know his father was in the revolution, mm-hmm. and then in the Mao era, Mao kind of turned against his father Mm -hmm. and so they were uh on the outs for a while okay and then uh she sort of found his way worked his way up in the government from the bottom Mm -hmm. for the most part um kind of from the bottom you know i mean his dad was no okay but he didn't get he didn't benefit from being old friends with oh now you know yeah so uh, does she does President Xi, because he's a president, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so does President Xi follow a lot of the Mao's philosophy? Or is he completely, like, left field on that? Um, Because I don't really know his, his philosophy per se. I don't mm-hmm. really keep involved with or keep track of uh, full policies of what's going on in China. Mm-hmm. I should, but I don't, so... Well, it can be a little tricky. I know there's uh, Xi Jinping's philosophy has been boiled down into Xi Jinping thought, which mm-hmm. is like bullet points that mm-hmm. a lot of people in China want to like memorize. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't know how much he follows Mao exactly. I think there's a certain amount of... Uh, pragmatism Mm -hmm. that is almost required in Chinese leadership at this point because Mm -hmm. like um, Mao and Deng Xiaoping fought about uh, introducing Mm -hmm. capitalist reforms you know Mm -hmm. so um, I think I think Xi I guess he would generally be considered as turning the ship to the left, a little back towards communism, but like slowly and methodically, hmm. not like going back to like extreme Maoism, but okay. just kind of, we've had this time of uh, capitalist prosperity, and now it's time to start uh, reaping the benefits from a communist perspective, where we could actually have, he. Uh, there's a phrase that he used, common prosperity. Hmm, okay. Right. Okay. So the idea is like maybe a little too much of billionaires sucking up all the wealth mm-hmm. and too much poverty, and so maybe starting to turn 
toward some communistic ways, but not like a, you know, maybe what we could would call socialism or even yeah, I was thinking, softer than that. Right? Yeah, I was thinking that it sounds like a, a very soft form of socialism mm-hmm. where you're taking a little bit more from the rich, not everything, but you're taking a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, because you want them to, the, 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 the rich, or you want them to keep producing, right? Mm-hmm. And so just tax them maybe a little bit more and then be able to give them to your weaker uh, economic areas and improve them, improve that infrastructure, and then eventually improve the overall citizens' uh, well-being and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Am I somewhat on the right track? I, I, think, I, th- yeah, I think that's I think so. right. Okay. Yeah. And they definitely have the attitude that capitalism is the goose that lays the golden egg and you mm. don't want to kill it no you have to make sure you don't kill it. you it must continue to thrive okay so i'm gonna go on a tangent i know we're, we're talking mm. about president xi and, and his philosophy but okay the goose that lays the golden egg in capitalism because a lot of people uh, myself included at the time Whenever we're we're thinking about capitalism, it's it's like oh you see like two segments of of ideology. I, I don't mm. know if that's the correct word to say, but you you see like the ultra wealthy and then the the middle class, and then you see the struggling uh, low income class right here. And and mm. you know I've talked to a lot of people uh, about this. And this is generally a touchy subject because it deals with finances and money, mm-hmm. and it goes on to the idea of taxes. Mm-hmm. So what are you, what are, I I would like to say that with the goose that lays the golden egg, you know, for our capitalistic society to keep thriving, we we have to pay taxes. Unfortunately, I wish mm-hmm. we don't, but I don't see another way for a capitalistic world to work if all the citizens do not contribute something to the goose. Right. Um. Because, you know, at the time, back then, when, when I didn't really know economics too much, I was like, yeah, screw taxes, you know, we shouldn't have to pay taxes because that's our money that we earn. But if you think about it, all, a lot of the taxes goes to providing, you know, services such as, you know, public education, public transit, you know, maintenance of plumbing and, and roads and, and power supply and all that, as long as it remains government-owned and public, obviously. Now, mm-hmm. if you privatize it like what happened in Texas, then your power supply is cracked. So I'm not too sure if that's a good thing or not. But I don't know. Taxes. Is this something that is the only way to feed the golden goose? Or is there a better way? The only way... That we're doing right now. Is there another means to keep the goose from, or or keep on having that goose lay those golden eggs, hmm. in in our in our circumstance? I mean, that's a big, that's a deep subject. Mm-hmm. You know, I've talked to hardcore libertarians who would say we could accomplish all these things without taxes. We mm-hmm. could have voluntary associations to okay. create the roads and stuff. Okay. Um. But if I we're think, to, well, if you, sorry, not meaning to interrupt, but uh-huh. if we were to do that voluntary, and let's just stick on that moment for for a bit, if we were to do that voluntary, that means that the overall community has to really have pride in their own community, right? That means mm-hmm. we really have to build up that pride 
in order for people to go out of their way, out of their daily lives, busy lives, just to volunteer mm -hmm. to fix the road or to fix whatever else needs to be fixing, teaching their children, you know, through public education, community education. Um, do you ever... It, it, I don't it, have a, a, sing, a simple answer. It yeah, opens up yeah. that that path forward opens up many many questions. Okay. Like, uh, what about free riders? Yeah. Right. What if someone says, "Oh, cool, you guys made this road. I don't care. I'm yeah. not contributing anything, but I'm totally driving on it all the time." You know. Yeah. Um, I think something that makes more sense to me as an American is, you know, the. Um, the idea of no taxation without representation mm. and sort of the other side of that coin is that uh, I could be okay with a certain level of taxation if I have representation. Mm -hmm. If I think that there's a certain, uh, that these things are being done reasonably, that people in the government are putting an effort toward not wasting my money mm -hmm. and actually getting the job done somewhat efficiently um, and that if they are not, then they will not have their job because the hmm. people would, you know, okay. not vote for them. So, you know, no, so like uh, when the U S colonies were starting, mm -hmm. they were saying, look, we're becoming very powerful or our population is growing, but we don't get to have anyone in the British parliament. You know, we're a total, we're another piece of, Britain, but mm -hmm. we're not we don't get to have anyone in the parliament mm -hmm. no taxation without representation and that slogan actually came from before the british mm -hmm. actually were having their own internal struggles mm -hmm. and they were chanting no taxation without representation so now the american colonies were throwing it to them saying hey mm. you know we you want to levy these taxes on us and we have no recourse there's no way for us if we don't like these taxes there's nothing we can do about it mm -hmm. and so that uh, contributed to starting the revolution and now mm -hmm. in the U.S. Well, in the U.S. that they created, mm -hmm. people had recourse regarding their taxes. Mm -hmm. And initially the federal government was not sucking up very many taxes. Mm -hmm. And it was smaller, uh, you know, state and local, you know, city governments that were levying taxes and then using them in such a way that the people in your city or your local area could see what was going on and could intervene, mm. you know? So smaller groups, I think there's something to be said for smaller groups in terms of government mm -hmm. um, that allows more, you know, if the federal government currently in the United States, they rule over 350 million people or something and they make trillions of per year in revenue of taxing people, uh, it's tough to get accountability there. Yeah. You know? Well, especially if they're handling so much funding, money in general. How do you efficiently delegate all that funding? Right. Without something falling through the cracks, you know? Yep. Hmm. Anyways, I know that was a little <laughs> side tangent. And so I, I, I really wanted to know because, you know, I've had so many conversations like you with a lot of, you know, different background uh, of people. And it's a mixed bag. And, mm -hmm. you know, half of them say that, you know, yeah, we got to pay our taxes. We got to put in our dues for our own community um, because without, you know, having this community, we, we can't prosper. Uh, it, it's a it's a beautiful area that, 
you know, beautiful system for some uh, that is is keeping our our home safe. You know, we're we're trying to have good. How do I put a land value mm-hmm. everywhere rather than the roads having like potholes and everything? So, you know, um, now granted, not every every city uh, is able to afford that funding, which is unfortunate. But overall consensus is, you know, we have usable roads, uh, so to speak. And I've talked about the other end where they're like, no, we don't want to, you know, lose 40 percent of our income you know, just for taxes alone, especially when you, if you're living in the golden state of California, where state tax and federal tax together goes roughly around 40 to 45 percent mm-hmm. of what you make. And so if you made $100,000, you're in the high echelon tax bracket where a good chunk of that, like 40 percent of that disappears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, it hurts uh, for the, for those individuals. It really it really hurts them. Um, not not saying that what they're making is 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 you know a small sum of change or anything but it's it's like you put in a lot of hard work to get an income like that and you know time effort education whatever and then all of a sudden 60 40 percent of that is is gone Mm -hmm. uh and so you know it's a very interesting topic and and i thought that it would be cool just to mention that on today's uh episode Mm -hmm. i know we're going on tangents but you know yeah Yep. But going back to uh, mm-hmm. President Xi Jinping, uh, mm-hmm. I still can't pronounce his name for the life of me. Yes, something it, it, <laughs> President Xi. There yeah, we go. President Xi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. Uh, so coming up pretty soon, they're going to have the. I think they call it the Tenth Party Congress. I think they're like five-year meetings of mm-hmm. the Communist Party, and mm-hmm. President Xi is going to start his third term which i think is unusual i think the previous three guys mm-hmm. only got two terms really yeah i mean for our united states it's two terms too i mean going yep. for a third term goes against our i, I, I don't want to say constitution because i don't know the constitution inside mm-hmm. and out but it goes against our, our laws saying that you know a president can only run two terms yep so yeah interesting with the united states is that it started um with Washington, who just stepped down after his second term, mm-hmm. and then he became customary. Ah. And during World War II, uh, with so many things going on, it made a lot of sense not to switch mm-hmm. leaders in the middle of the war. Mm-hmm. So uh, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, or actually maybe he had started his third term before the war started, I can't mm-hmm. remember. But anyways, he got four. He passed really? away during his fourth term. Wow. He was the first guy to do that. And then I think they, and he also passed away during World War II towards huh. the end. Um, and I think after that they codified it. I think now there's something that says, no, you got to quit after two. Okay, that's real. I never knew that Franklin Roosevelt uh, held it for four terms. Yep. Yeah, I, I knew that we have two presidents named Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt and mm-hmm. Franklin Roosevelt, but I never knew that Franklin Roosevelt actually held four terms on it. Got to go back to my U.S. history now. Now you know which subject I was really good at in school. And so, but yeah, no, I actually read that. Uh, and the Congress is supposed to happen tomorrow, wasn't it? Like it's, it I, I know it's so. on a Sunday, mm-hmm. and we're recording on a Saturday, so I'm assuming that it's tomorrow or next Sunday, one of those. That sounds right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, 
And uh, I did read an article on the South China Post. And from my understanding, South China Post is actually owned by China. Mm -hmm. It's a Chinese newspaper that has been translated for American readers. And so it's a, it, for me, it, it's a really good insight of how they're thinking and how what they're trying to do uh, in terms of sending a message in a media format. And, you know, while I'm reading one of their articles, and then let me see if I have it here on my phone. I believe one of the article was written by, uh, who was this written by? Let me see here. Actually, it doesn't say who the author is, which is quite unfortunate. I'm browsing through. No, it doesn't say. Interesting. So it's, it's, uh, okay, it says right here. I don't know how to pronounce this name, but this person, uh, Kawala Z, X I E, uh, wrote this article. And it's pretty much saying that China, the, the headline is China and US must get along. Communist Party says on the eve of National Congress. So it is tomorrow. Uh, if it's the eve of the National Congress. And the overall message of this is that if we want to have a prosperous next five years and really go, you know, as a global economy together, mm -hmm. uh, this article is saying that, you know, we, we have to find a common ground between the U.S. and China in order to make such a thing happen. But if one side decides to not partake in the peaceful you know uh coming or peaceful deal uh what this article is saying is that it's pretty much a point of no return once that once that boundary is passed it's passed there's no way of re, re retreating mm -hmm. from that so if the u.s and this is in china's perspective if the u.s does not find a way to cooperate or they're being really really pushy then China will retaliate by saying, okay, well, we know that you don't want to do peace with us anymore, so we're never going to have peace ever again kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that, it, to me, is a very scary thought that this is being written up uh, in in their newspaper. And it's it's a very... It, th what they say is right here, um, uh, one of the quotes is, we also oppose the idea that a strong country must seek hegemony. I don't know what that means, hegemony. And the mindset of a zero-sum game thinking. We don't provoke, but we're not afraid of provocation. Provocation. So hmm. uh, they're pretty much saying is that this isn't a zero-sum game. That means one side win, one side lose. Mm -hmm. uh, it's more so that we can both mutually benefit in the greater good of a global relationship. And that's at least the aim of this article. And, you know, I I am for one for, you know, avoiding conflict. That's just my mm -hmm. personality. And so I can see where they're coming from. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I personally don't want to get in conflict with anyone. And I believe they're the same way. They don't want to get in conflict. And they want to find a common ground. But if push comes to shove, we got to defend. Mm -hmm. um, in their mentality, that's what they're probably thinking. And so thoughts on that. I mean, it's it's it, this, was, this article was written six hours ago. So... Um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. I think the United States has had this attitude, like, we rule the world, mm -hmm. basically since uh, the Soviet Union collapsed. Mm -hmm. And China has accumulated all this power. Mm -hmm. And so within the last maybe, you know, seven to ten years, um, 
people in America have started kind of freaking out and saying they're accumulating this power and we're headed to conflict. Mm. And there's this idea uh, called the Thucydides trap. Mm. Come came from probably an ancient Greek writer named Thucydides, but the idea the idea is that um, when you have one powerful nation that's really ruling the roost mm-hmm. and then another is rising up to challenge it mm-hmm. according to Thucydides it's pretty much guaranteed to have a massive conflict and so there's been a lot of discussion mm-hmm. uh, among American foreign policy people about is it guaranteed that there's going to be a conflict is there something we could do to avoid the conflict mm-hmm. and I think China kind of maybe what they're saying in this article is like and also, if you look at China's history of not having, it seems like they have not had as many conflicts as they could have mm-hmm. in the last, you know, during communist rule. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, uh, if you set aside uh, taking some of their local, you know, taking Tibet and Xinjiang and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but I think they avoid conflict mm-hmm. and they try to accumulate power without conflict. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea is let's uh, kind of find a way to share the power. Mm. Let's uh, sort of have like an oligopoly, right? In business, Mm -hmm. you can, instead of having a monopoly, you can say, hey, you get this part of the market and I get that part of the market. Mm. And we, um, we are sort of doing a bit of coordination. Like there was a time when I think it was... Apple computer was struggling. I think it was in the nineties and they got a big investment from Microsoft who would be their rival. Mm -hmm. But it's because they're saying, look, Apple has sort of a space in the market Mm -hmm. and we have our own space. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily have to compete head to head. Mm -hmm. We can kind of share the market, you know? And so I think maybe it's China saying, look, yeah, we can make peace. We just have to talk this out, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and, but also lurking behind that is the fact that, hey, China's accumulated power. Mm-hmm. That means we are going to get stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are things we want and we'll get it. If, like if you make someone fight, they'll fight. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think China is kind of saying, hey, we don't have to. You know, mm-hmm. we could sort this all out at the discussion table. Mm-hmm. No, and, and that's, a, that's a good point. So there's three points that I want to... I, I want to mm-hmm. share. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of the right words here. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the first one you talked about, like, um, who was who the Greek philosopher? That... Uh, Thucydides. Thucydides. I'm not sure I'm saying it. Okay, right, so it's Thucydides. Oh, that's a cool name. Thucydides. <laughs> Anyways, so Thucydides stated that, you know, if you are the current power and there's a rising power there's going to bound to be some conflict and that actually mm-hmm. reminded me of ray dalia who's one of the biggest hedge fund investors and he just published a book a couple of years ago or a year or two years ago called changing world order mm-hmm. and this reminded me of that because he actually also stated in his book that as a new power comes to rise and trying to take over the reserve currency potentially there is going to be conflict and most of the wars that has ever happened in the last 500 years was due to this rise in power mm-hmm. and so something is going to give whether the former power you know 
surpasses the new conflict or the new power rises above and destroys the old one, something is going to change and mm -hmm. uh, for the better or for the worse. And fortunately for our time, I think we're living in more of a digital global era. So the war doesn't necessarily have to be in a physical combat, but more so in a digital combat, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And so that was one of the things that came to mind. And I don't know if you've read Ray Dalio's uh, latest book. I saw the video that he put out. Yeah, kind of the videos are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, but thank you, Ray Dalio. Your economic, how the economic machine works uh, was a fantastic video that really made a lot of sense to me. Uh, during that time. And I think I saw that back in 2015, 2016. So it was mm. quite a while ago. And so the other topic, now I'm hoping that I can remember it because we just talked about a lot of things just now. Um, the other, uh, okay, so we talked about the changing world order and we talked about what else, what was the third one? I wish I had my pen and paper here. Um, mm -hmm. Usually I take notes while we're talking about because we're face to face. I thought I could remember everything, but I don't. Uh, let me see here. Shows you how uh, professional I am in this. Was it maybe something about, uh, I talked about how we don't have to go to violence. We could essentially parse things out. We yes. could make deals. Yes. Kind of. Yes. And so that kind of reminds me of what a lot of businesses are doing today, which is, you know, it's not a complete monopoly. Again, our mm -hmm. laws prevent monopolies from taking place. And that's mm -hmm. why there's a lot of umbrella companies nowadays that own separate entities, or if not all entities, and it just doesn't seem like there is monopoly. But the idea uh, of playing with psychology of the consumer, that is a big thing. And we see this in a lot of social media content today being produced. Uh, if, if you so, so for example, I'm, I'm gonna share this with you because this is the insight that I just I, I, I just thought of and, and I, I wonder I want to know if this makes sense. So back in the day, uh, let's let's just do very recent history. So about you know 15, 20 years ago, we had the Coca-Cola and Pepsi war, right? Two rival companies, and they're they're pushing, and they each have their own following. And the harder that they push against each other, the more people wanted to support their winning brand. Okay, mm -hmm. there was a time where one of the Coca-Cola employees found the secret recipe for Coca-Cola and gave it to Pepsi. And be like, hey, I'm gonna sell you Coca-Cola's recipe if you uh, if you can pay me this much, I'll give you their secret recipe so that you can wipe out Coca-Cola. And Pepsi, being the good Pepsi company they are, was like, no, we're gonna actually tell Coca-Cola you've had it because we respect Coca-Cola that much to have our rivalry, uh, uh, their company come first before we our winnings, so to speak. And so that kind of reminded me, uh, as we were talking with the oligarchy, not oligarchy, what is it? Is it oligarchy? Um, Oli something. Yeah. Oligopoly. Yeah, oligopoly, not oligarchy. So with that, if we look at uh, modern social media influencers today, and I'm going to bring up two people that I don't really follow, but it was a very interesting uh, story that somebody else did, and I'm, I'm not trying to take credit for how they shed the light on this, but Jake and Logan Paul, who are like the one of the biggest influencers right now uh, on social media. But how they actually built their following was by pretty much gathering their own people 
to support them while they have their own rivalry in front of them. So Jake was like, you know, I'm the better brother and I'm going to beat Logan on everything. And Logan's like, no, I'm going to beat you. And so there's this rivalry and the people would actually bandwagon on this. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's just amazing. Same thing with, you know, uh, hip hop artists. And, and we see this so, so often. And so the idea that, you know, China and the United States, if we were able to build that kind of tension, that could be a huge thing in terms of business boom, uh, in terms of national pride and everything. Well, hopefully it doesn't go to the extreme where, you know, as you guys know, soccer fans can get a little crazy or football, sorry, football fans can get a little crazy around around the World Series. But, you know, that would be a spark play uh, in mm -hmm. terms of a business perspective you know it's like yeah this is a chinese company this is the rival of the united states company like alibaba with amazon or something like that you know and have them two butt heads and have that bandwagon just keep supporting both sides i don't know that that, that was the thought that came to my mind of the oligopoly and mm -hmm. if they were to look for a mutualistic beneficial relationship that might be the way to go and if and it's not too far-fetched to think that that might be one of the possible outcomes that they're looking for, both in the United States and in China, where they're both trying to build that fan base and be like, oh, U.S., U.S., or old oh, China, China, and have them have uh, the fan base, so to speak, uh, support it. Now, I could be really far-fetched or out there with that idea, but... It's a very interesting idea. Yeah. A sort of good-natured, competitive... Yeah, rivalry. Uh, yeah. Interesting. I think that's the best case scenario, honestly, uh, yeah. for for a two big global powers. I think that's the best case scenario, mm -hmm. where we're both competing with each other, and it's just like when we had the space race with Russia, right? Mm -hmm. We both competed against each other, Russia with their scientists and the United States with their scientists, and look what happened. We were the ones. They fired Sputnik into the mm -hmm. air, right? First, mm -hmm. they got a first satellite in, in the air. But we got the first man on the moon, mm -hmm. right? And so we progressed rapidly due to that rivalry. And so with China, with cloud computing, with the whole semiconductor industry right now, and I think this this could be a, a, a nice, hopefully, crossing fingers, a nice rivalry. This could be a way to massively improve semiconductors or the microchip industry or AI, artificial intelligence development. Because right now, the whole conflict that's that's adding to the tension is that United States just made, or Biden's administration, President Biden's administration just made sanctions on China, saying to all semiconductor manufacturers, do not sell China, and correct me if I'm wrong, do not sell China the more advanced chips. They can yeah. still purchase the old ones, but the ones that are just out on the market, like this year, we cannot, you cannot sell it to them yep. anymore. Until like five years have passed, then we can sell it to them or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it looks to be like we're trying to push them to develop their own microchip. If they develop their own microchip, they're going to develop their own artificial intelligence with those microchips. And then we're going to be like, oh, shoot, we're going to be behind. So this might be a nice rivalry. Hoping that, again, that's huge. That's like the best case scenario that I could see. I don't know if that's going to happen, but, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, the AI competition is a it's is bigger. a crazy dimension of it to think about. I mean, mm -hmm. the um, you know I do think the sanctions you know 
the number one priority of the U.S. in the sanctions is to slow China down, mm-hmm. you know, um, that we would become more advanced. You know, five years from now, as our chips and our technology has mm-hmm. progressed, and China having to do it without the window into our technology that they previously had, mm-hmm. that's going to put them behind, at least initially. I yeah. Think. Uh, and I think that's the goal. I think, uh, you know, AI could be extremely, extremely powerful, you know? Oh. So it's tricky to think, like, yeah. what does a nation do with AI? You know, do they try to take over the world? I mean, it's... I mean, if, if you... Honestly, I think AI has already taken over the world. If you've seen the documentary on Netflix, The Social Dilemma, where the algorithms are already piecing your behavior digitally and mm-hmm. implanting, implanting it into an artificial intelligence where they can run specific ads that targets your behavior to match with what you would be most receptive, receptive to. Mm-hmm. And it's a brilliant marketing ploy, psychological ploy too, uh on the developer side i mean that who would ever think of something like that and you know you gotta you gotta give it a hand to them that they were able to manufacture something like this but nonetheless with ai we're also seeing a lot of implications not implication but implementations of artificial intelligence into our auto driving you know elon Mm -hmm. musk is doing a lot of that stuff with auto driving uh, allowing the cars to drive itself. And so if we ever want to go to a fully autonomous state, we have to let AI develop that way to the point where they can control traffic flow and you know respond within a microsecond of any dangers that is happening, you know, 10, 20 miles down the road that could cause a, you know, a massive accident or something like that. Um, we see it in medication as well, med- medicine development. We you know are theorizing, and I believe... Uh, there was a medical advancement just recently on cancer where, uh, you know, AI can scan your veins and within uh, a matter of a day or two, they can spot in which area uh, of your vein had like low calcium ion concentration or high calcium ion concentration, which would predict within a seven year time frame the most likely result of where a heart attack would be. Wow. I mean, it's it's so advanced now. It's crazy how they're able to scan your body like that within a couple seconds. Mm-hmm. Not a couple seconds, but again, this is... I haven't read the actual scientific research on it, but it was in an article that I saw, and I thought that was just amazing how they're able to calculate in your body at that moment a potential spot for a heart attack, and it's predicted to be five years down the road. Mm-hmm. Like you can prevent a heart attack five years down, like five years earlier than it happens. I mean, that's mind-boggling. Anyway, anyways, yeah, yeah. So AI, <laughs> yeah, it's a big thing. It is it's a big deal. So, but you know, going back to the whole China conflict and U.S.-China conflict, I mean, this is this is something that I hope, I really hope that it doesn't end in heavy physical conflict mm-hmm. um, I really hope that we're able to work things out and and move as a global you know civilization forward just like with the Russia and US space race I think that if we if we can be friendly competitive mm-hmm. might, might bode well you know that 
it's interesting that the press, I think it was the press secretary, was coming out and saying mm-hmm. he wants to have this move forward peacefully with mm-hmm. the United States. Yes. Um, I'm kind of thinking that may also be the result of how things are going with the Russia-Ukraine war. That it might be it. I too, think, yeah. you know, before the war started, I think China was happy to uh, sort of be a little bit on Russia's side and antagonize the U.S. and, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, poke at the U.S. because, you know, they view the U.S. as having overstepped economically and, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, with, with wars and, and projecting power around the world. I think initially they were like, oh, cool, you know, let's mm-hmm. kind of show them that they are not going to be invulnerable forever. Um, and then now that that's gone poorly mm-hmm. for Russia, maybe they're thinking, you know, we might want to, uh, at least for the time being, indicates the United States that we're not forming an axis mm. that we're, this is not just like we are going to have Russia's back in every way and we're going to have this big war and, you know, uh, you know, I mean the fact that, uh, that violence hasn't broken out in Taiwan mm-hmm. already. I think that indicates the fact that they, you know, they're, it's not just, that they want to seize the opportunity and start a fight. You know, mm-hmm. I think they're thinking, you know, maybe now's not the time for this. Mm. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think they want to get into conflict, to be honest. I mean, mm-hmm. once they get into conflict on one front, I mean, they're already having a lot of conflict on their borders. So if you get spread out, just, just like what happened during world war two, you know, if you're fighting on two fronts, it's going to end badly for mm-hmm. you, so to speak. I forgot which country fought. Was it Germany that fought on two fronts? So on the yes. Russian side and then on the Italy side too, right? Yeah. Was I mean, Russian we... So, like uh, I guess the U.S. and Germany both mm-hmm. fought on two fronts. Okay. Uh, I think Germany sort of did it first. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And it was it was bad because they, they went after Russia. Mm-hmm. You know, they Germany could have stopped at some point and mm-hmm. held most of Europe, right? Mm-hmm. And it, they, it, most of Europe could be Germany today mm-hmm. if they had just stopped and said this is where we stop. I think they had, a big part of the Nazi ideology was the deep hatred of the uh, communists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think Hitler ultimately really wanted part of his legacy to be like destroying the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And so he just kept that train going. And then meanwhile, you know, he was fighting England on the other side, and then mm-hmm. we intervened, mm-hmm. and so it was, mm. yeah, it was a, a disaster. They got just Exploded. smushed, yeah, yeah, from both directions, you know. And you never want to fight Russia during winter. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> if we learn something from history, from Napoleon Bonaparte, is it Bonaparte? I don't know how to pronounce his name. Some French last name that I cannot pronounce for the life of me. Mm-hmm. Napoleon's French, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... Yeah, it, it, it's interesting what's happening right now, and I and I think that the next couple of weeks is is gonna be exciting, so to speak, mm-hmm. especially after tomorrow. And so you know, it goes back to how Intel, and, and I'm not meaning to divert away from the China talk, but mm-hmm. Intel right now is also 
you know that that was their whole thing and i think this was the third point that i wanted to make by the way it's going back to the three points mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but i think that uh, intel itself was saw this happening saw this conflict of just microchips and the potential monopoly just on the asian front and so they wanted if, if you actually listen to pat gelsinger they want to build a fabrication plant here on u.s soil and not to dominate or take away from Taiwan's, you know, manufacturing or, or anybody else's, but more so to share it and, and be a global mm-hmm. uh, economy where the the Intel can take on the Western side, Taiwan can take on the Eastern side, and everyone benefits in, mm-hmm. in, together rather than have one all choked and, and hyper-constrained due to the high demand. But now we see a huge recession in the demand of chips in general. Yeah. And I think partly it had to do with the talk that we had a couple of weeks ago on uh, just cryptocurrency and, and the mining of that from proof of, was it proof of work to proof of stake? Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. A lot I of moving think, pieces. Yeah, a lot of moving pieces. I think, um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, to look at TSMC's role, mm-hmm. they're the Taiwanese semiconductor company. Mm-hmm. They make the most advanced chips there in Taiwan, mm-hmm. but they also have uh, some chip building stuff in China in the United States. Mm-hmm. And they're building a big facility to, you know, four or five years from now, start doing a lot of uh, production in the United States. Are they also building one in the U.S.? Yep. Yeah, there's three wow. getting built in the U.S., three big ones. TSMC, yeah. Samsung, and Intel. Yeah, I heard of Intel and Samsung. I didn't know TSMC. I, or maybe I did. I just didn't think too much of it. But I knew Samsung had one. Mm-hmm. I think it was trying to be built in New Mexico or something like that, right? Um, yeah. One of them is in New Mexico. The other one's in Ohio, which is Intel. And and I think Arizona. Is Arizona or Texas? I think so. Is it one of those? Yeah. One of those. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And so right now, I mean, as a value investor, now we're going to go into investing as a topic, but mm-hmm. as a value investor, with the huge depression in, in microchips right now and, and just the overall negative downtrend, I'm not too sure if we're going to have this downtrend for much longer, especially with the more the more that we go into AI development. I mean, mm-hmm. if this is the next... Frontier, uh, for example, uh, in AI development and the race to getting the best AI or something like that, we're going to need those microchips. We're going to need to fabricate a lot more of those. We're going to need higher processing power. Mm-hmm. And if you know, if you want to be the top of the top, and you want to have a better server, cloud-based server, whatever, this might be something that will not be depressed for too long. Uh, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, another contributing factor is sort of a whipsaw effect. Mm-hmm. You know, when suppliers, uh, you know, t- the the semiconductor manufacturers <clears throat> supply multiple designers mm-hmm. of chips and, you know, who then supply multiple buyers of chips. Yep. So um, it you get this effect where I think in COVID – when everyone was staying home, they were buying goods on Amazon that mm-hmm. had chips in them. Mm-hmm. That created this massive demand for chips. Mm-hmm. And I think 
now that that's cooling off, now that the Fed is raising interest rates and we're headed toward a general recession, mm-hmm. that's cooling off the demand for chips. And it's that whipsaw thing where now the semiconductor industry, they're on like the roller coaster. Like, yep. oh, crap, we're going down now. Yep. But I think, yeah, in the long term, I would be less concerned about chip yeah. industry. I think maybe a down year or something like that. That's what I'm but, thinking. Yeah. I mean, I, I, especially with autonomous driving, I mean, yeah, Tesla might try to make their own design on chips, but they still need someone to manufacture those chips. Yep. And unless they're willing to spend, you know, however many millions to billions of dollars opening up a new plant, making sure that they're state-of-the-art and not, like, mm-hmm. going to break in a year, um, they're going to rely on a lot of the uh, chip manufacturers right now. And Intel uh, being known for their own design and being very heavily embedded in the u.s economy just on you know core processing unit they used to be a part of apple um and google used to use them as well i believe um now apple and google are trying to go their own way but usually when they try to go their own way they end up screwing it up somehow Mm -hmm. and going back to what they uh had before so we'll see what happens i mean i'm i'm pretty bullish on the chip industries mm-hmm. and i'm really enjoying that it's really depressed right now mm-hmm. uh disclaimer though i do have some stocks in the chip industry so um i could be extremely biased because of that but mm-hmm. that is why i am bullish uh i, I just see it as being a good overall long-term five ten years down the road investment and mm-hmm. you know in technology, I do think there's often these sort of back and forths of trends mm-hmm. where something, you know, there will be a trend where a lot of uh, IT or technology goes in one direction, and then they say, hey, you know what, things have changed a little bit, and the way we were before is actually mm-hmm. pretty good, and they kind of all migrate back, and they'll do this back and forth type mm-hmm. thing. So I think um, with everyone designing their own chips, mm-hmm. I think it may be a bit of a trend, mm-hmm. you know, and like, you know, with Apple being a big leader in that trend, they're yeah. also the most highly capitalized company in the world. Yeah. I mean, they're sitting on a trillion dollars right now. So and yeah. it's still in their cash. Yeah. It's still in cash. So they're, they're not. So they're, if people yeah. want to say, oh, they're doing it, we should be uh, designing our own chips. Yeah. And we'll hire chips designers. It's like, well. At some point, some of these other companies are going to start realizing mm-hmm. maybe that's not a great idea, you know. And there's these uh, companies like NVIDIA, mm-hmm. you know, if, if everyone's saying, oh, we're not going to use NVIDIA's designs anymore. It's like, okay, well, they still have these amazing designers yeah. who could still hook you up and you might come yeah. back to them. Well, yeah. and it goes with the idea, at least for us value investors, it goes with the idea of a moat, right? Mm-hmm. If you built your brand so good, that either your brand name is your moat or your product itself, the quality of your product is that moat. It doesn't matter how many copycats you have out there because you are already ahead of the game. You're, I mean, let's talk for NVIDIA for, for, for a second. They opened up their, their business, I think, in 1990 uh, at, at, during the beginning of the Internet boom. Mm-hmm. And they, they've been depressed for a long time. There was no growth in NVIDIA. And it's just recently that they shot up all the way to $180 a share. And now they're back down to, I think, like $130, $140 a share or something. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I haven't seen the quotes for NVIDIA in, in quite a while. So I'm not too certain about those numbers. But the idea is that 
if if you're going to build your own chips at this point, just like with any entrepreneur, you're going to have to fight against someone who already has 20, 30, 40 years plus experience on you. Mm-hmm. And unless you're very quick and nimble and you know exactly how to design a chip and what you're doing and getting the best deals, chances are you're not going to beat the big, bulky, experienced players right away. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. And while you are developing something new, they could see what you're developing and use their own resources to build further. So, mm-hmm. and, it, and we see that with a whole ton of products nowadays. I mean, look at how many... Back in, I believe it was when the automobile was first introduced, we had, what, over 4,000, 5,000 car brands. And it wasn't until, you know, many decades later, now we only have, like, seven. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that might be a bad example, but that's the way I think about it. It's like, you know, if there's a lot of copycats out there, most of them are going to die out. And yeah, the, the main few is going to stay on the top seat. Unless NVIDIA or AMD or Intel does something drastically bad. But with the whole movement of going towards more gaming, towards more streaming, towards more AI development, I'm still bullish on it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah. Anyways, I think we went through a lot of topics just now. What, what did we do? China, we went to taxes, we went to uh, technology. It, mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's a lot of moving pieces, and this is a yeah. very interesting time. And you know, it's it's exciting. It's really exciting. So yeah. I don't know. I think this is a good place to stop. What do you think, Sean? I think it is. I think it's so. So all right. Thank you, everyone, so much for uh, staying tuned to our live in person <laughs> podcast. Hoping that this was a uh, a fun experience for everyone. But uh, again, don't trade a dollar for a penny right dollar for a penny. Yes. i'm never gonna get this right we need to do a new outro a dollar for a penny and i'll see everyone and sean will see everyone in the next recording take care everyone bye